Welcome everyone to Rock M Radio. My name is Sam Snelling and we're here for another episode of Bench Minutes. Uh, Bench Minutes is a podcast I host with my, my friend. Uh, he is a co-host and also a former Missouri Tiger, current SEC Network analyst and NBA scout extraordinaire, Jarrett Sutton. Jarrett, how's it going, man? It's good, Sam. How you doing? I am doing pretty good. The uh, The summer is off to a, a good start, and I'm going to go ahead and, and say that uh, spring is over and it's summertime now because I was out doing yard work yesterday, and it is certainly summertime weather. Uh, it was hot. Yeah, I, I actually helped a, a friend of mine move on Saturday, and I really didn't do a lot of the heavy lifting. I moved a bed and a dresser, and it took probably all of 10, 15 minutes, but by the end of it, I was in a pool of sweat. So uh, <laughs> if it was as hot in St. Louis as it was in Kansas City, uh, yeah, we're not going to have much of a spring this year. So Yeah, it's, it's kind of unfortunate. I mean, one of my, my favorite pastimes is kind of sitting out on our porch in that springtime when everything's kind of starting to bloom, and that just sort of blew right past. I feel like it was like a week long, and, and now we're, we're, we're easily into summer. Um, but other than that, uh, I think we've got some, some tiger hoops to talk about that. I think that's probably why people are tuning in. We do have a, a decision to be made tomorrow, uh, from John Tay Porter on whether or not he is going to return, uh, to school and play again for the Missouri Tigers or whether he is going to stay in the NBA draft and take his chances as, as I guess, probably a, uh, late first round, early second round pick. Um, so I, I kind of figure what we'll do is we'll, we'll sort of look at Jonte's decision. Um, I kind of tend to think that it, it might be better for maybe even all parties, uh, to, to move on. Uh, and I, I know I might be in the minority of this. I very clearly like from a pure enjoy watching basketball standpoint would like to, uh, get John Tay Porter back and, and get to see him play for another year at Missouri. Um, but there is a little bit of me that, that I kind of look forward to uh, n- the next year, which I think is already kind of going to be a little bit of a rebuild year and, and letting Konza Martin kind of get started on that sort of sans any, uh, you know, Porter drama or influence. And uh, I, I don't mean that as a, an, from a negative standpoint, but I think last year was a little bit of a circus with the, the Michael thing. And I know John Tate tends to be a little bit more low key. Um, but I don't know. What's your take on that? How, how do you feel on, on your, your personal feelings of, of whether or not you, John Tate should stay or go? Yeah. So it's tough for me because, you know, I, I kind of, every time I see Michael and, and John Tate respectively, I, I kind of go back to, to when I was at Missouri and when they were kids uh, when their dad was an assistant for the women's program and they were around the weight room and they were in the gym. And you know, I remember Coach Zimmerman and Mike Anderson having to tell them to hold the balls because they, they were always around. And uh, they were such they were good kids, uh, very soft-spoken. Uh, they loved being around us. And uh, I thought all of our players really interacted with them well. And, and In fact, a lot of uh, kids that were just around the program in general, um, Ryan Kreklow for, for one, who's now playing college basketball at Missouri State and um, you know, a lot, a lot of other kids around the athletic department as well that were around our program back then. So it, it's kind of that um, where I feel older now and looking at Jonte and Michael, I want what's best for them as not only as, as players, but as people as well. And I thought last year, when you talk about Jonte Porter, the biggest thing that I see in his development is how he's become his own person and how that whole year um, and I know for Missouri fans and, and selfishly, you know, the, the success of the program 
probably with Michael Porter Jr. there for the entire season, um, would that had the year been different with Michael in the lineup all year? But it was so beneficial for Jonte because he was able to just come out of his shell and, and be his own person. And even the interviews he would do after games, uh, he was so much more confident. And you could tell that he, he took a big turn as a freshman, um, not just from a skill standpoint on the floor, but, but just who he was. And I, I thought that was such a good sign for him. It was unfortunate about Michael with the injury. Um, but they are two separate, uh, they're in two separate situations, and they're also two very different people. They're brothers, but they got to look at both their situations differently. Uh, Michael's in a different conversation. And with Jonte, um, you know, I've gone back and forth with this. Uh, I thought originally, if you would ask me back a few months ago what, what Jonte should do, I would, I would have said go back to Missouri. Um, you know, you, you had such a good year. This 2018 draft class is really good. Uh, look to 2019. That's wide open, and you can be a lottery pick in 2019. And it makes it makes so much sense for him because everybody already knows about him, and he's continuing to grow and develop. And even if he doesn't have a, a year that you know we would hope for him, or a year similar to this year where he doesn't make necessarily the substantial strides, he's still a first round pick. Um, so it it really came down to a decision for for Jonte, and what will come down tomorrow in his decision is what he best wants to do for himself. Does he want to go back? and play in the SEC and play in Columbia, a town that he's familiar with. Uh, he can have a whole summer with Nicodemus and strength coaches and work on his game and have a full summer in Columbia that he didn't have last summer. I think that's really important for him. And I think our, uh, uh, when you look at it, the, the big picture, I guess, and at the end of the day, when he went to Chicago, he interviewed really well, um, but the testing didn't go well. I don't think it went um, as he probably would have wanted it to go. I think he sees what all he has to improve upon, and that's the whole point of the process with some of these guys that put their name in and then ultimately bring their name out of the draft is to get feedback. And I think he probably has good feedback. And I think teams, and, and for a lot of the, the teams that I've talked to around the NBA, um, they, they like Jonte, but a lot of them know that, look, there's a reason to go back to school. Um, I also think there's a reason not to go back to school. Like, what are you really learning going back to school, if you're a one-and-done, if you're a freshman and you've had such a great season and everybody knows you're destined to go to the NBA and you're in the top 15, top 20, it makes sense for you. What what good does it do to go back to, to school? Um, or if you've... If well, so I think it, it is sort of interesting because, you know, there's been a lot of uh, discussion, I think, from um, Sam Vecini published something at The Athletic, Rob Doster at NBC Sports, and even our own Matt Harris had a really nice piece sort of talking about, you know, why Jante is maybe going to stay in the draft uh, and and why it kind of makes sense from a financial standpoint. Um, you know, the NCAA really kind of has uh, some r rather archaic rules about how much contact you can have with players during the week, particularly in the offseason. Uh, and, and you sort of look at, at the amount of time that coaches are really allowed to spend with players and, and work and develop those players. Uh, so then a lot of it kind of does be, you know, come down to whether or not the, these, these guys are going to get in the gym themselves and, and really work and develop themselves uh, versus becoming a professional when you're, you're making the kind of money that you make even as, you know, an early second round pick, you're making enough money to where you can hire trainers to kind of come in and, and work with you on a regular basis in the off season and and during the season you're if you're not uh playing at the nba level and 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 a guy who's like a heavy rotation piece you're probably down in the in the g league you know getting some run on a regular basis against other guys that 
are kind of elitely talented players that get a similar ilk. And so I look at it from a standpoint of like, uh, so if you're going to be a professional, and I'll kind of the example of like Mustafa Heron pulling his name out of uh, the, the draft today and deciding that he's not only going to uh, stay in school, but he's going to transfer. And I, I mean, there's a possibility he might get a hardship waiver, uh, get closer to home, which is certainly an int- intriguing option. But I look at someone like Mustafa Heron and just like, why would you pull your name out and then decide to transfer if you're set on becoming a professional go be a professional and then you can turn basketball into a profession which yeah i agree i i agree and there's so much talk right now about i think it was david robinson that came out and said you know one percent of college players become a pro and that's that's actually not true i mean a lot of professional basketball is overseas it's international it's g league um you know there's there's quite a bit of guys that can go make a, a salary and be a professional and, and play professional basketball and, and get, you know, paid for your, for your service, for your talent. Um, and yeah, it's, it's tough to make the NBA. It's tough to make an NBA roster. There's only so few many spots. Um, the reality is there's 60 selections in the draft. Like you said, uh, you do get paid uh, roughly really pretty well for all first round and even into that second round. Now we've seen a lot of second round guaranteed contracts. Uh, there's also the two-way contract now within the G League, which I think is great with the NBA, uh, to have that for the, the uh, NBA organizations, for their front offices, to be able to use those uh, players both in the G League and at the NBA level. I think it's that's the growth of, of where the league is, is trying to ultimately go. I, w- I am surprised that Mustafa Heron uh, transferred. I, I also thought it was interesting, just as we talk about Jonte Porter, that Austin Wiley is returning to, to Auburn. And he was a guy that was floating around in that first round all throughout the season. And obviously these mock drafts and where guys are in, in, these, in this draft process, that all is subject to change. We, it, it's almost like there's that mock board from January on into the tournament. Guys can improve their stock. Their stock can drop as well. They go to Chicago. It could change even more, good or bad. And it just keeps changing and changing, leading into the actual – day of the draft. I mean, right now, these these players that are going into the, the 2018 NBA draft, they're going through workouts with their different agents and agencies, team workouts in markets. Um, the, those are happening, and that's really a huge part of the process of being drafted is is when these guys get an opportunity to look, look at you in a workout setting uh, with other guys. And so it's a long process. And I think some of these guys start to realize that, yeah, it, it does depend. It, you should have you know, a good college season. You should be one of the better players in college basketball when you put your name in. Um, but then ultimately, you start to figure out that there's a lot of good talent. There's a lot of good talent out there. And if you have that mentality and that attitude of, well, I'm just going to go to the league. I, I played my time in college. I don't like college basketball. I just want to go, you know, play in the league. Sometimes that's not going to work out. I think these guys start to realize that. And then the decision is, well, do I want to go make money or do I want to go back to college? Is it is it more so the decision for my career? Or is it more so the decision to make money or help my family? Jabari Brown made that decision when he was at Missouri. I don't think Jabari Brown wanted to leave Mizzou. But Jabar, Jabari made that decision because his dad was sick. And the financial part of it and medical bills for his dad back in Oakland was really tough on him. And that, that was a huge part of his decision. Hit the That decision compared to Jordan Clarkson's decision were two different decisions. So that to me is, is where I think... People need to understand that it, it's really every player is different. 
and it's ultimately what they're wanting. And so for Mustafa Heron to transfer, you wonder what that is. You know, if, if that's just something where he is trying to be a professional or if he thinks he can get the hardship, I, I'm not sure. But I, I, I did find that to be uh, some big news today. As well, I, I was happy to see Austin Wiley uh, return to campus. And I think that's a sign for Jante. I also think uh, Sagaba Kanate at West Virginia, Him, he's a terrific shot blocker. We saw how successful he was at West Virginia. And he's a big athlete that can be a rim protector. He can be a, a behind uh, or a second level rotation center at the NBA level. He's still developing. He's still growing. Um, that's that's who Jonte Porter's up against. And he's got to have more of, of, of a hard, I think, ability or a hard skill set to, to be able to translate against some of these guys. I think that's something that these players start to see when they go through this process is just how far away they actually are. Well, how much do you think like the modern NBA kind of plays into that? Because I look at somebody like Jonte who, I mean, very clearly Jonte needs to work on his body. Uh, he, he needs to develop more lateral quickness. He needs to really, you know, work and and do a lot in this in the strength and conditioning side of it uh but from a skill level like he's far and away more skilled than guys like Sagaba Kanate and uh and Austin Wiley who I, I think you know Wiley is kind of that m- more traditional back to, uh back to the basket you know low post center uh type you know who's a guy who can develop I mean he's he's athletic enough he could develop some uh, some more range and whatnot, but uh, but certainly doesn't have the skill level at this point. And then you you talk about Kanate, who is just an elite shot blocker. And the thing that I like the most about Kanate is not so much his skill level. I mean, I just don't think he's he's quite that good of a basketball player yet. Uh, but this uh, the the version that we saw when when they played Missouri uh, in the Avicare Invitational. That version of Kanate versus the end of the season Kanate was night and day that much better of a college player. Um, but still having guys like Wiley and Kanate in that mix for that kind of center position, uh, you know, where where Jante's going to be more of like a pick and pop, you know, like I'm going to set a screen 23 feet away and then float to the wing for a, you know for a three pointer. Uh, those those guys are going to be more around the rim and protecting the rim, and so how much do you think like that is going to play into Jonte's decision to to stay or go? But also uh, the the type of players he's really kind of competing with for draft spots. Well, I think one of the things that Jonte did really well in Chicago was I mean some of the drill setting uh, that was in the five on five period. Uh, it was the day before the five on five period was Jonte shooting the ball really well um, for his position, for, for guys that were bigs that um, you know categorized in the same conversation as Jonte, and Jonte shot it really well. And we know Jonte can do that. He is a stretch forward. He's a stationary shooter. Um, you know, and, and you look at that as what he could continue to grow and develop in is, is being able to be more comfortable off the move, um, off the dribble, attacking more, being more physical around the rim, something we saw from Jonte late in the year is being more aggressive going to the rim um, not falling away not avoiding the contact not shrinking himself but actually going into the contact absorbing the contact and then finishing he can finish with both hands but like you said I think the the fact that he did not have that body built up yet that's that's a big part of that right that's that's a part of why he's going in not as strong that's why he's shrinking around Yante Maton guys that have been in the SEC and have built their bodies and are strong and have had summers to work out 
and understand the league and understand how, how aggressive and physical it is and how that's so different than the high school setting. Well, the same thing can be said from the college game going to the NBA game because the NBA game is so different than the college game. And you touched on the, the modern NBA now. I mean, you know, you look at the center position or the, even the power forward position, what Jonte is going to have to do at the NBA level, that I think translates right now is his ability to move and pass. Jonte is a terrific passer. And I think teams were a little bit nervous that, you know, he didn't do well in some of the movement, lateral movement tests. And a lot of that, again, is touches on the body. But they thought, well, that might have an impact defensively at the NBA level. When really Jonte already possesses, in my opinion, great defensive instincts. I think he is a good defensive player. I think it all depends on, again, getting that body right, getting more strong, getting more explosive, getting more, I think, comfortable um, with his body and, and just knowing how to use that effectively on both ends of the floor is really where Jonte needs to keep going. Jonte's well on his way, um, but, I, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where you, you still have to t- touch on, you know, he should be a senior in high school, and, and he should be, you know, he's he's still a kid. He's still growing into what he's ultimately going to be at the NBA level. And then ultimately when you look at the NBA, are you, are, are you going to be able to stick? Is there an organization that's going to draft you that has a plan for you, and are they going to be patient with you? I think that's what Jonte's got to ask himself is some teams will draft you and, and put you in the G League and just expect for you to figure it out. Some teams give you give you a plan. Some teams give you patience and give you three years, which I think any player that's drafted in, in that first three years is when you're really going to find out what they are and what they're about. Because, again, the NBA game takes time to evolve to that, to the speed of it, to the physicality of it, to the skill set and talent of the NBA. It's a different game. So I think that, to me, is... Is is Jonte is ahead of the game because I do think he translates with his ability to stretch the floor and guys like Kanate and and Azabuke who is in those conversations those guys don't really pan out really at, at, at the modern center position. You look at what's going on in the playoffs right now. There's a lot of center centers that, that can't play. Um, you know you, you saw that in multiple series in the playoffs. I mean even Joel Embiid really struggled in that Boston series without Horford. Um, and, and so that to me is where, where you're looking at is positionless basketball now. I think Villanova showed that in the national championship game with Amari Spellman being able to play out, outside and shoot the ball and be explosive. All those things I think are, are what NBA teams look for. And I bet that's the, the conversation that Jonte's had to have is, am I ready for that? Or do, do, can I go back to college and show that and then improve my draft stock, which to me is so important when that high school kids – or one and dunce, they get so obsessed with where they're going to get drafted or what position, what selection they're going to be. Are they going to be in the top 10 and in the lottery? Whatever that is. And sometimes that's not necessarily the case. I mean, ask Donovan Mitchell that. Donovan Mitchell got drafted by a great team, a team that, that really emphasizes player development and, and a team that, that's going to give you time to grow and develop. And Donovan Mitchell jumped on the scene quick. He was in a good system. But what organization is going to embrace you and, and give you that plan and give you that opportunity to really work on your game. And I think Jonte might be better off served going back to Columbia in this case because there's still so many areas he can really tighten and hone in on at the college level, and his NBA clock hasn't started. He can still get ready to have a successful career in the NBA and, and hopefully long-term be able to stick in the NBA, which to me is the ultimate goal to get to that second contract. So let's uh, let's play a game. Um <laughs> Uh, the game we're gonna play is uh, is the expectations game. Um, we had a uh, poll that went out to the Rockham Nation Twitter world uh, last week that basically said, you know, if Jonte decides because reports were kind of surfacing that he's leaning towards coming back to school at that point, 
So if Jonte comes back, what are the expectations? And I think most of the the populace kind of landed on uh, the middle, which would be sort of bubble team, uh, a, a team that is depending on a, a, a game here or there could be on or off the bubble. I I think that squeaking into the NCAA tournament would be an achievement for uh, the roster that this team has next year. I just think that without a whole lot of reliable or, or knowns, as I like to call them, uh, at, at the guard position, it's really kind of difficult to uh, to put this team in to the NCAA tournament just with, with so many of those uh, unknowns. Um, but Jonte is coming. Let's say Jonte is coming back. What what are the expectations that you have for Missouri next year, and and sort of how how much do you think Jonte Porter elevates the ceiling for Missouri? Oh, I think this offseason has been pretty much about holding your breath for Missouri, seeing what's going to happen with Jonte Porter. I think if if you get Jonte back, you're you're getting uh, you're uh, a guy that really carried you. Uh, through the season with Cassius Robertson. Uh, I think those two guys are, are probably the guys you look at as uh, the two players that, that really helped Missouri throughout the year get to where they were at by the end of the season, to which you know they, they go to the SEC tournament, they lose a the game, um, and, and they're still able to get into the NCAA tournament. I, I, I think they took care of business, and I think Jonte Porter is a huge part of that for multiple reasons. Um, you know, I, I think Jeremiah Tillman – is a guy that already that I'm, I'm excited about because of what I've been hearing from coaches and, and what you've been you know been seeing out there of you know working on his three point shot, working on his conditioning, watching film, really wanting to improve, and that's a great sign. Uh, so I, I think if you package Jeremiah and Jonte together, you got a lethal four or five combo um, that can, that can be really good. And and again, two guys that were very physical. Um, sometimes to a fault where they got in foul trouble, but I'll, I'll take that as young players. I'll take, I'll take young guys going and playing hard and fighting and being scrappy. And, you know, Jeremiah had a lot to learn. He was raw. And there was a lot of things that really impressed me with Jeremiah's footwork, his ability to create space, his ability to use both hands. Uh, he was really dominant going to the rim. And I, I remember being at that Arkansas game on, on senior day and, you know, him going and grabbing a rebound over Daniel Gafford, who Daniel Gafford stayed in school, and Daniel Gafford was probably going to be a top 20 pick. Um, and he really competed with him. And I think that's a great sign is, you know, you're talking about a freshman that didn't back down. And all those pieces, I think, with Jonte, to me, um, really gets me excited about what they could be, knowing that you have two forwards and two forwards that really showed well as freshmen at different moments. Those guys returning, you, you take that jump from your freshman to your sophomore year, you can see sustainable growth if they develop and, and work like they're, like they're supposed to do and, and what they're doing so far. Um, I think the guard position is tough because, let's face it, this team shot the three ball so much better last year than they did the year prior, and quite frankly, the, the three years combined prior. Um, a lot of that was Jordan Barnett and Cassius Robertson being able to knock down shots. Jonte was a part of that in the pick and pop. Um, you know, I, I still think they need a, a guard weapon that can show that he can shoot the ball. I think Torrance Watson's probably going to fall in that conversation. Um, you know, and I, I think be, the, the ability for, for Jonte to be in the pick-and-pop game, the pick-and-roll game, who's going to be that? You know, is, is Penson going to be that guy? Is Torrance Watson going to be that guy? Who's going to be the guy to, to package with Jonte? But ultimately, if you have your four-and-five position, that at least gets, gives me a little bit more hope. But I'm like you, I still think they're, they're losing a lot. And, and 
when you look at where the league is at, where the SEC is at, uh, guys that are returning right now with, with even Auburn and, and Arkansas, like we've touched on, um, uh, Jalen Hudson's going back to Florida. I think that's great for them. Keith Stone is an improving forward for Tennessee's them. bringing back, um, everybody. back everybody. Yeah, Tennessee, Tennessee's bringing back everybody. So that, to me, is is why I think expectations are, are probably going to be low, but I, I, I could see them sneaking into the tournament if Jonte is back because they have to have Jonte. They have to have a forward that can have the skill set that he can have and he can bring and just the intelligence to, to be able to play on both ends of the floor. Uh, I think Conzo has to have that, and and if he doesn't, then look, he's it's a it's it's we're gonna find out a lot about Conzo and, and his ability to coach and get this team, um, you know, up and running quickly because they're gonna be young and they're gonna have to have guys they depend on that haven't been in these type of situations. Well, and so how often do you think like we're gonna end up seeing? Yeah, because like this is one of the things that kind of goes through my mind as I watch this roster kind of being put together, and I'm just imagining a a lineup more often than we care to see it where it's like it's you know geist at the one kj santos playing the two and then like kevin purrier jonte porter and jeremiah tillman and while that's a fairly uh talented you know potentially talented offensive group there are some real questions on on uh what those guys are going to be able to do defensively uh and, and just sort of you know, so I'm like, I'm looking at like, okay, Perrier, uh, you know, Tillman and Porter coming back. M- Mitchell Smith is a guy who I think is going to be fighting for some minutes. Reed Nico is kind of uh, probably going to be in a similar position as he was last year. That That is a Porter's back. So, I mean, we're just going to have all this size and, and no real ability to, to defend out past, you know, like the free throw line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and defensively, though, I, the, the one thing I will say about uh, this Missouri team last year uh, without Michael, you know, they lost Michael and all was made of what's this team going to be. And they showed that they were a really gritty bunch, that they were tough, uh, and that, you know, they weren't going to back down. Um, they, they had some inconsistent moments. We can talk about, you know, to a blue in the face about how they couldn't close games. It just seemed like it was almost every game in league play, they'd have a lead or, um, you know, late in game moments where you got got to take care of the ball, you got to make free throws, you got to get the ball past half court, and they couldn't get that done. But what what you really could hang your hat on, for the most part, was their defense and rebounding and contesting shots and communicating. That's all Conzo. That that's that's a big part of who he is as a coach uh, is the ability to be consistent defensively and be tough and count on that late in games to get you through and get you by and get you ultimately in the NCAA tournament. I think the biggest piece for this team, you know, outside of, of Jonte and the young players that have, are coming in and the roster that's been put together, I think you touched on Kevin Purrier and, and Jordan Geist. And those two guys have been around. And, you know, Geist, you know, had some moments last year that, that were frustrating, not being able to, to close out games. And, and look, Geist is limited, but he brings that factor of, of grit and toughness. And I think something that Conzo really likes is having Geist in the game to really you know, do those Marcus smart type plays <laughs> where he's the one creating that chaos. He's the I, mean, I believe yeah. that you, ha- you have, you have to have a guy like that on your team. And I'm not saying Jordan Geist is going to go in and get 10 rebounds, but at least Geist is going to be, you know, physical and be in passing lanes and, and frustrate the other opponent and be on the team, other team's best player and just try to frustrate him, get him out of his rhythm. And then for Kevin Purrier, he, I love Kevin Purrier. He's a thousand point scorer. He's a, he's a tough kid that's really grown and, and developed his game, but he can still go to the next level. I know he put in a lot of time last year, 
And by the end of the year, he still lost that confidence to shoot the ball, to use his right hand, uh, to go to the rim and not be afraid of the length. And he's going to have to have a big year. I still think he's, he is a key factor in this team uh, because you can't just look at one or two guys, especially in the SEC and where it's going. You've got to have other guys be able to step up and make plays and be consistent. And I think Kevin Perrier, we've seen it from him in games where he's been really good. But we've also seen games where he's been non-existent. And I think that, that to me, is, is really important is, is can he be consistent? Can he be able to, to stretch the floor, knock down open jump shots, get offensive rebounds, go to the rim, finish with his right hand, get to the free throw line, and, and still be able to provide the, the defense and, and be able to have the versatility to guard multiple positions? I think a lot of that hinges on him as well. So I, I don't even when we talk about if Jonte's not around, there's still some pieces there that I like because of what they're made up of, the DNA of them, and, and how that translates with Conzo. And I kind of like teams that are really gritty and really tough and know how to defend and, and want you know the ability to, to get a stop late in the game. I kind of like that type of nature. And then you work out the offensive kinks and you, you try to get you know wrinkles into your offense to get guys shots. That ultimately is going to come down to coaching, and, and maybe they have to change up their system, their style of play, and, and how they're going to get – Jeremiah Tillman the ball and how they're going to keep him on the floor. All those things, I think, play a factor in this team and where it's going next year. Well, so, yeah, I mean, talking about, like, what the expectations are should Jonte stay in the draft, I think, you know, now we get into something that's maybe a more interesting question to me. Um, Because you have so many Unknowns on the roster. You have guys who you don't know what you're going to get from them on a regular basis. I think we know what we're going to get from Jordan Geis. Uh, you can probably expect a a moderate uh, amount of improvement from him and Kevin Perrier. Uh, I think we we kind of know what we're going to get from Reed Nicko. Uh, we hope that Jeremiah Tillman is going to kind of take that next step. And I think for a lot of guys, they tend to kind of make a big jump from their freshman to sophomore season. And I think sort of, I think Jeremiah Tillman is, is a candidate for somebody who could do that, uh, particularly being able to stay on the floor more. Uh, but still, even most bigs don't often play like 30 minutes a night. I mean, those guys are usually in that 20 to 25 range. So if Chante isn't back, now you are kind of relying uh, a, a lot on on Kevin Perrier and, and Mitchell Smith and Reed Nicko um, to kind of fill that that second big spot. But a guy that I think is so important to this team uh, and is maybe the biggest question mark, and that's KJ Santos, because of his versatility, he's a guy who's who has really good size, has kind of NBA three and D wing size. Uh, he has really sound fundamentals when you look at his shooting mechanics. He's a guy that everything like seems to just be really fluid with his his release, and he's a, he's a guy that with enough work, I could see him being a forty plus percent three point shooter. Um, if he's able to kind of provide what I think a lot of Mizzou fans are maybe kind of expecting him to, uh, which I think is really really dangerous. Uh, then I think that this becomes a team, even without Jonte, that, that can be a middle-of-the-pack SEC team uh, and compete for an NCAA tournament bid. Um, but they really need him. They also, I mean, you can talk about Torrance Watson and, and expectations for him. I just think it's it's difficult to expect too much from a guy who is a top, you know, 100-level one, uh, player. I mean, he's a guy who 
I always thought was a little underrated, but I never really thought he was a top 50 guy. Um, and I, you just you don't really know what to expect from those guys as freshmen. I, I think eventually Torrance has the uh, ability to become uh, a kind of all-league player, but to expect that kind of early on is, is, is asking too much. So then it really be, kind of becomes, you know, what are you going to get from, from Santos? What are you going to get from maybe Mitchell Smith? Uh, and and can Jeremiah Tillman stay on the floor? Um, so I like I I just think there's so many questions when you when you talk about a roster without Chante Porter on it. Yeah, and you touched on KJ Santos. I think you're you're spot on because uh, look at this team last year with Jordan Barnett. He was kind of their three and D guy, and, and Jordan really improved. His three point percentage was better. Um, yeah, I thought he was more aggressive. Uh, he had moments again where he, he struggled and, and struggled to pass the ball. And you know, he's such a terrific athlete. And and really, though, you you could depend on him for defensive versatility. And can KJ Santos be that? Um, you know, I, I think he has the length. He has the size. Can he be a consistent shooter? And and that to me is is where I think we're seeing. You know, you talk about modern basketball in the NBA, but I, I still think we're seeing on the college game too. You got to be able to make three-point shots because it takes so much pressure off of the interior play, which starts with Jeremiah Tillman um, and Kevin Perrier and Reed Nico and, and possibly Jonte Porter. But but that that to me is, is is key, especially with what how Missouri ran offense a lot last year in crucial moments with the pick and pop using Cassius Robertson off the ball screen. Uh, which I don't think that necessarily what Missouri had planned on doing and what Conzo had planned on doing when they got Michael Porter. But with the injury, I think they made adjustments to try to get the flow of the offense, to get the ball going side to side, get people in pick and roll, have spot up shooters. If that's going to be their offense, they got to have guys make shots. And, you know, Torrance Watson is going to be a young player. He's going to have those growing pains of a young player. But I think what I like about Torrance Watson is he, he's got some fire to him I like. For a freshman, I, it reminds me a little bit, and I'm not trying to make comparisons to, to for him or, or to to him, but I, Marcus Demon and Kim English, when when I was a freshman, um, you know, they they backed up Matt Lawrence, they backed up Damari Carroll, um, J.T. Tiller, Zaire Taylor, guys that were experienced, right? But one of the things about Kim and and Marcus was they just had this knack of scoring. They had this knack of if I'm getting minutes, I'm going to make the most of this. I'm not afraid. And I, I think Torrance has a little bit of that. I mean, you, you saw his ability to score the ball in high school. I know it's high school, but to put up some of the numbers that he was putting up makes me realize that he's got that mentality, that, that demeanor of having a knack to score the ball. And some guys just have that. That, to me, I like. I, I don't think that means he's going to come right in and be a double-digit scorer, but I do think he might have some good moments and some good games where he catches fire or a team forgets about him, he's going to still have to be an important piece of this. But if they can get KJ Santos to be the 3 and D guy and make shots, that's huge for this team. Um, Mitchell Smith, to me, is, you know, I, I remember calling some of the, the games for Missouri with, with Kim Anderson and, and prior to the Mitchell Smith knee injury. And although he was pretty raw and still had a long way to go, you, you couldn't, you know, really look away from the athleticism that was there. You could see his bounce. He was quick. Uh, I really like how he can move laterally. And again, you know, you're talking about being able to guard and being able to guard in the pick and roll and being able to have versatility, especially with Jeremiah, if he is in foul trouble. Mitchell Smith is a guy that can provide that. I mean, Reed Nickel was pretty good last year. You know, spotted minutes. He knows his role. 
he had some good moments. Um, you know, he, he can't play extended minutes, I don't think, especially with, again, having the, the ability to guard the, the perimeter, which I think is really important. Mitchell Smith can do that if he's healthy and if he continues to grow and add strength. And look, Conzo's staff, he brought a lot of guys with him from Cal. And some of those guys are, are very good at what they do with in regards to strength training in, in the weight room. And then from the player development piece of this, um, and they've had some success in the past with some, some players that they've been able to grow. Um, not only at Cal, but at Missouri, there's guys that really stepped up and, and played well. Cassius Robertson, one of them. I, I didn't think Cassius Robertson was going to have the year that he had last year, but he proved me wrong. And do they have that type of attitude in that locker room next year? Do they have, have that guy that's going to have that mentality? Because that, to me, is still ultimately how you go to the NCAA tournament. It can't just be purely talent, but it also has to be guys that have that, that ability inside to, to go get the game, go get a win, hostile environment on the road, go to the free throw line. Who's that going to be for this team? Is that going to be Kevin Perrier? You know, who, is that going to be KJ Santos? Is, is that going to be Tillman? Who's that going to be? You got to have a guy that's going to be able to close for you. And I thought Cassius did that so well, um, better than anybody else really late in the game, uh, especially going back to games like South Carolina on the road, uh, being able to finish, make free throws, not turn the ball over. I know there was a lot of you know hiccups with that last year, uh, particularly late in the year, but you got to have that. Th those are all little details that, that are ultimately going to get you past and get you some wins and get you into the dance. Well, it's interesting you kind of brought up the, the player development standpoint because one of the things that I've always kind of thought was a little bit more underrated with, with Conzo Martin was his ability to kind of develop guys and, and find guys that sort of fit a role. And I think uh, a good example of his time at Tennessee was somebody like Josh Richardson who – uh, was very, very like underrated as a recruit. I mean, a guy who was kind of rail thin as a senior, and uh, I think he was barely in the top 300 players, which uh, for, for comparison's sake, I think is sort of similar to where Kevin Perrier was. Uh, and Josh Richardson has carved himself a really nice role in the NBA playing for the Miami Heat. I mean, just a guy who... Uh, can defend so many different positions as a shot maker. Uh, and, and I think one of the things that, that Martin did really well in locating somebody like him is, is he, he's able to kind of find guys that maybe have the tools, just need a little assistance in kind of finishing out the whole, uh, the whole product. And I, I think, I think what we're kind of looking at and, and kind of hoping is that maybe Santos is that kind of guy. Uh, you know, maybe there is another, uh, person on the on the roster, maybe you know Javon Pickett, who isn't really well regarded as a recruit, uh, can develop. Maybe Xavier Pinson is that guy. Um, but for this team to be able to kind of turn the page and and to to be a consistent winner, uh, you know, because Conso, I think gets a little bit too much credit for being an elite recruiter. I think he's a good recruiter. I don't really think he's an outstanding recruiter. Um, like I don't really think that he was that responsible for last year's class that was top five. I think that was a lot that was driven a lot by the Porters. Uh, I think he did a great job at Cal to get Rob and and Brown, but I just don't think that that's something that you're going to consistently get. Um, and I think for Missouri to kind of be there long term, I think he's just going to have to be able to find guys that are a little bit. Uh, unheralded, but also fill in with guys that are maybe 
in that 50 to 150 range that are a little bit more local. And if he can build the roster that way, then I certainly think that this is this is a long-term build that is going to work out. Yeah, I, I look at Conzo's first year as, you know, he, he hit a home run with being able to secure Jonte and, and Michael and really rejuvenate the fan base and, and really build a pipeline of recruiting um, through the Midwest, obviously in St. Louis, but just get back the, the Missouri program back on its feet. Um, it needed some energy. It needed some life to it, and they got that, and they made the NCAA tournament in their first year. But with, with Michael leaving now, and you lose Cassius, you lose Jordan Barnett, um, and, and then you're, you're up in the air really right now with Jonte. We'll see what happens there. But I think this year ultimately is, is really when it starts for Conzo because now he's got a young recruiting class that are guys that he targeted, guys that he wants, um, and you start building it from here. And, you know, you hope that they can make the NCAA tournament again, and you hope they can continue to get into the tournament. That's really important to keep building and winning games and, and building winning, a, winning basketball. But ultimately, you know, with I think where Missouri's going to have to keep going is they're going to have to build and hit on those guys that are three-star guys that, can, that he can develop, that he can, you know, have around for three, four years and be able to help this team and help this program. And then, yeah, finding, you know, a top-tier talent that, that might be in the, the one-and-done, two-and-done conversation, that's great. You're not always going to get those guys. Um, that's, that's irrational to think that Conzo's going to go out and recruit a five-star kid that's, you know, and have top five recruiting classes every year. That, that's, that's not going to happen. You hope it does, but you also have to be ready for, this is the team I have. This is the roster I have. And there's guys that are, have some good talent, but we have to make, get them to the next level now. That's our job. And I think as a coach, I think good coaches embrace that. I think good coaches, if they don't get these, these top talented one-and-done conversation guys, that's okay. That doesn't mean you, know, you just write off the year. It doesn't mean you can't have a successful basketball program and a successful team. Yes, you need to have talent, but sometimes you, know, you can build toughness and you can have gritty teams and gritty players that, that continue to stay and grow and grow and We've seen it at Tennessee for one. I, I think Rick Barnes does a great job with that. I think he does a nice job of getting guys that he can continue to grow. I think he's learned from his experience at Texas. I saw some. I think there's some differences he's he's done at Tennessee. Um, and I, again, the, the player development piece is so important in college, and especially if you can have guys that are going to be around that you know are going to be in, around that are going to be invested, and, and you keep you keep trying to steal out of that uh, that market of the grad transfers, and, and say you do get a couple transfers. You know, they get Mark Smith from Illinois that will be down the, the line. Can they continue to grow him? I think that's another piece of it is when you have a transfer sitting out, is that transfer taking the year to improve his skill set, improve his mentality, get stronger, get understanding with the system and what's going to be asked of him the following year? All those things are important in continuing to grow the program in the right direction. So it's, it's I, I think, a crucial time right now for Conzo. And I think it's been a tough offseason with this whole Jonte Porter thing, what's going to happen there. Because I think if you get Jonte back, it immediately helps your chances of just continuing to build the winning culture. Because that, again, gets back to recruiting. You want to have a successful product and and continue to build those recruiting classes. Um, I think Conzo has a history of good recruiting. I I agree with you. I don't necessarily think he's an elite level recruiter, but I think he's a great a great coach that can that can really instill toughness. That doesn't take a lot of flack from guys. That demands of guys. And I think that. Uh, I think that is, is important because he's going out and recruiting those guys that want to be coached. And that, to me, is, is important for this program and where it's going to go. And, and ultimately, he's done a really good job of getting back in the state. And if he can continue to win, 
that talent's gonna that talent's gonna keep coming at him from St. Louis, from Kansas City, throughout the Midwest, where Mizzou's gonna be right in that conversation to get a lot of the top talented guys. Well, yeah, we are uh, we're getting kind of towards the end of this. I know that um, you were in Chicago for the uh, for the draft combine. Um, I just kind of want to open the floor for you to kind of give some general impressions, if you have some, for the time that you spent there. Uh, you know, any things that stood out uh, for you in particular? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the combine is, is interesting because there's the five-on-five five period that now is broadcast over ESPN, and I think it's mostly for programming. I think it's mostly for fans to, to see their college players and for NBA teams to – the, the fans to, to kind of get a, an idea of what's out there. It's for a chance for Woj and Fran and Billis to talk about these guys, and that's great. But ultimately, the most important thing in the Combine uh, is really the medical side and also the player interviews and, and a lot of the agent discussions that these teams and these executives have. Um, in Chicago, it's a busy week for everybody. Um, I had a chance to be a part of the medical testing on Saturday and Sunday uh, that were team testing, and all the players came through and it's a great class. Um, I really enjoyed interacting with a lot of the players. Um, you know, th- there was a lot of discussion uh, around if it was Laurel or, or Yanni with Grace and Allen, which was a highlight of my uh, my my day on on Saturday. Um, and and I, I think these guys just by the end of the week are exhausted. And I think they it's cool to see them interact with each other. They've played against each other in AAU ball. Uh, they've played against each other in a lot of these rivalry games, and and they've been in the NCAA tournament, and they've and now it's their chance to to look at what's next for them, and that's ultimately you know possibly being a professional, and um, you know they they conducted themselves the, the right way. I think you know it was very interesting to see Dante Divincenzo now keep his name in. Um, that's a guy that didn't start, uh, that came off the bench, and ultimately was the most outstanding player um, there to to end the national championship and win a national championship for Villanova, but. You know, he's a guy that is probably going to be in the first round and did a great job in Chicago, interviewed well, tested well, terrific athlete. Um, you know, there's a ton of conversation in Chicago about, around Michael. Um, I think he's got the most range of anybody in the draft. I do like that Michael is staying confident in, in his messaging and saying that he's the best player in this draft because ultimately he was the number one player in the country for a reason prior to the injury. And this this top of the class is is so good, though. Um, you know, Bagley and Jackson and Aiton and Doncic and – Trey Young and Carter Bamba, all these guys are really good. Colin Sexton in there. So it, it's tough there at the top. I mean, there's there's really good players there, and, and Michael's range is, is going to be tough. Um, hopefully Michael can really show well in workouts. Hopefully the medical side of it goes well for him, and, and he'll have an opportunity to be selected um, to a good organization. But, it, you know, it's it's um, it's the next jump for him. Ultimately, though, it was a, it was a good experience. Um, you know, I, I love going to Chicago. I, I like it more than summer league. I like it more than any NBA event or, or even scouting games. It's, it's the best time of the year for me because you're able to have discussions with executives. You're able to sit in on the five-on-five period, um, was able to be a part of the, some of the medical testing and interview portion of the, the combine. And, and it's, it's, um, it's really interesting just to see how teams, how, how teams test. Um, the Portland Trailblazers don't even interview players. They just have a psychological test from an actual psychologist that comes in and interviews the guys. It's, it's really interesting. So just depends on, on what team um, does what. And ultimately, though, the, the, the this class is good. Well, all interesting stuff. Uh, I think the combine in and of itself is just kind of fascinating. Um, but before we get out of here, Jared, there is one kind of final topic I want to I wanna bring up. And it's one that uh, I, I think it's safe to say you made a few waves online with your uh, 
<laughs> with your tweet. What was that last week? I think. Uh, yeah, it was ago. the fr- the Friday uh, at the combine, and um, yeah, I was I wasn't expecting ha- that. Apparently, having a conversation <laughs> with uh, an NBA executive and uh, this unnamed source uh i think thinks very positively about the nba's uh possible expansion and in particular into kansas City. yeah so it was one of these you know days when i say that hey kansas city is a logical market when people look at it as a non you know as an unbiased statement for me because i know i'm from kansas city i live in kansas city so you know it makes sense that uh people might you know doubt it and question you know, if the league can, can come here and, you know, I, I have always believed a team could come here, but it's been mostly because I see Sprint Center and, and I know that this town is so different now from a basketball perspective. And even the league is different now than when the Kansas City Kings were here. And a couple guys that I've, I've gotten to know over the last four or five years, and I met this guy when I was working with the Golden State Warriors right out of college. And we've stayed in close contact and, and he has been working at the, in the league office for around 12 years now. And... Um, we were having a, a conversation uh, in Chicago and we were in a meeting and, and we got done and we were just kind of having a small side conversation. And, and, you know, he asked if I was still living in Kansas City and we got to talking about, you know, the league and where it's going and, and if there's a, ever going to be a conversation of league expansion or relocation, if that's, you know, going to be in the future. And I just thought it was interesting, his comments about Kansas City. And it's, it's really, you know, reflective of what I've said all along about you know, the Sprint Center is a, a state-of-the-art facility. It's an NBA arena, and it's an NBA venue that's ready to go right now. It has no tenant in it. Uh, it makes a lot of its revenue off concerts. Um, Kansas City as a, as a city has grown. Downtown is, is really flourishing now. Um, the expanding markets in Brookside and South Kansas City, and there's a renovation process that's going to take place with the airport that's not going to be done, I think, until 2022. So it's still far out, but that's been really important. Uh, to continue to just show that the city's growing, expanding, and developing. And this executive was talking about how, you know, there's really no question that, in his mind, that, that Kansas City could support an NBA team and that a lot of the discussion that he has had has centered around if the league was looking to expand, what markets made sense, and Kansas City was a part of that conversation. Um, Louisville, Las Vegas, Seattle, those markets are going to be in play as well. They, those four names, you know, those four markets really come to mind. Um, but I, I thought it was more interesting, you know, that when I put that out there, I wasn't necessarily thinking much about it. I mean, it was, it was an interesting take and it was one that he was really passionate about. And I actually talked to him the next day and, and he had seen that it, it had gone viral and he said, Hey, I, I, I see you're kind of getting some, some noise in Kansas city now. And, and, uh, I, I said, you know, look, this is, you know, not just the first time I've heard it. I've heard it for a few years now that Kansas city is, is makes sense and a lot of the executives that work for teams love coming to Kansas City. They love the venue. They love power and light. Um, they think it's easy to get in and out of the city. It's easy to get around the city and that's different for them. And they think it's a passionate sports town, which it is. And, and I believe that. Um, but then I, I thought was was more interesting is, is what took place last week. And I was talking with a different uh, contact of mine that uh, had been with an NBA front office for 20 plus years and he's retired, but he still stays around the league. And I, I kind of talked to, to him about this same conversation, and, and he said that he thinks Kansas City would be the top market, not, not just a market, but the top market next in line to get an NBA team because Seattle is not ready. They don't have an arena built. That key arena is outdated, and they've had issues with it, and that he thinks Sprint Center makes most sense. Um, and, and he talked on Las Vegas and the politics of that. They have an NHL team now. They've had success with that NHL franchise 
Um, but but what's that look like? And can Las Vegas is that really a logical destination for the NBA? And and now with you know sports gambling legalized, I think that helps Kansas City. I think if it wasn't, I think Las Vegas would make most sense. So it, it's still a, it's still a discussion, right? It, there's so many things that that have to take place, right? The league has to say we're looking to expand. Uh, I think they are going to do that at some point. I don't know when that's going to be. Um, and ultimately, if Kansas City does get an NBA team, it's gonna a lot's going to center around who's going to own it. Um, is that going to be uh, a local investment group, an ownership group? What's that look like? Um, Cliff Illig here is a founder of, of Cerner uh, Healthcare Corporation. He's also part owner of Sporting Kansas City. Uh, five owners actually own Sporting Kansas City, and there's a couple guys that started their careers in in the NBA actually. So. It's it's the start of a discussion, but I think now what I what I'm most comfortable saying is that I think four years ago I wouldn't have been comfortable saying that Kansas City is a logical destination for the NBA. But now having a lot of discussions with different people and and sources that have heard things in in their respective markets and in, in their respective positions have said that Kansas City is a logical destination. Uh, does that mean Kansas City is going to get an NBA team? No, it doesn't. But it does make me feel like there, there could be a potential possibility down the road um, if Kansas City and, and the Sprint Center wants to have an NBA organization in here. Um, and then ultimately, if we can get an ownership group that, that can handle that. But if Sprint Center fires back and says, no, we don't want a tenant, we're making so much money on concerts, I think this town would, would explode. So I hope that's not going to be the final, the final nail in the coffin uh, when it comes time for that. Yeah, and I think it's, it's interesting as the NBA sort of has – done a really good job of sort of changing its marketing and 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 seeing i think the uh the markets like oklahoma city uh in particular and, and memphis which i think people would kind of consider smaller markets uh seeing those markets kind of stand out and being able to support teams um the one sort of concern that i would have with kansas city and and not saying that i wouldn't i don't think that they could support uh, an NBA franchise because I certainly think that St. Louis, which is a similar size city, can support uh, three professional sports leagues, even though, even though we're down to two now. Um, and I do think it's possible for Kansas City to do that, but I, I sort of look at most of the markets where they're looking at and, and see, like, what are the other options there? Uh, Seattle, the, the attraction to Seattle is obviously the the Sonics were a little, little bit uh, ripped out of the city a little bit, and 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 certainly, uh, it's a growing and very uh, rich city. <laughs> There's a lot of money there, and money is one of those things that's very enticing to, uh, you know, to really sports leagues uh, in general. So I think that would be my my. Probably my biggest concern for Kansas City is 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 more the financial part of it uh, than the fan support part of it because I certainly think that Kansas City and, and St. Louis and, and fans uh, in those cities uh, are certainly ready for uh, something like the NBA, which which is I think a just a really attractive league right now and 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 really kind of growing in popularity. Absolutely, and and I think too, Seattle to me is is most logical with the Sonics discussion. Um, but again, that when I was talking to this the specific league executive, he was talking about the, the the thing that they haven't really done much of is to have the discussion around that arena and building something, and that that was really going to be the kickstart for Seattle is building a, a venue for it um, and showing that they really want to get the NBA back there. And when, when Sprint Center was built in 2007, 
when they built it, it was is really ultimately to keep the Big Twelve in Kansas City. That was that was important. But it was also built because they wanted to have a direction uh, and, a, and a venue for the NBA or the NHL to expand and have a team in that facility. And we are here now in 2018, and that really hasn't been discussed. It was discussed with the, the Penguins back in the day. Um, I know when the Kings uh, were about to build uh, their new arena, they were having some issues with that. There was thoughts of, of the Kings possibly leaving. Um, and obviously Oklahoma City lands the Sonics, and the, you see the success that they've had. I even think the success that San Antonio has had, and, and yeah, there's not as much uh, competition as far as professional leagues, but you look at the Chiefs and the Royals and sporting and how s- supported they are, particularly with, with sporting, and I, I know it's professional soccer, and honestly I think you know St. Louis is probably a better soccer market than Kansas City as far as um, you know, and that's, I think that's why I was disappointed that St. Louis didn't get a soccer team because I think they're a market that would do great with Major League Soccer. Um, but I, I think just the, the the notion too, when the Royals won the World Series, the surrounding markets outside the metropolitan area of of Oklahoma, of Iowa, you know, those the Nebraska, those those type of markets that could support I mean, Oklahoma, I guess, would be tough since you know the Oklahoma City tie, but. When you look at Nebraska and, and Iowa, those those markets really support the Royals and the Chiefs, and I think it would still be the same. The, you know, those those fans travel really well to Kansas City um, to see their respective teams. So it, it's a it's a conversation now. I, I think that's ultimately um, you know what I I'm excited about is um, I think it kind of stirred the pot a little bit, and um, I, I think ultimately it's it's now something that makes more sense than it did five years ago even. Um, because to your point, the NBA is growing and it has been so popular, um, not just globally but internationally as well, which that was a little bit of a nerve-wracking thing for me is if the league was to expand, will it go to London? Will it go to Mexico City? Does that make sense for the league? Players Association is going to be involved. Ownership groups would be involved in that. Uh, owners making decisions on where the, the team might be. So. The reality is, too, it, it doesn't water down the talent either because there's so much talent that if you field two more teams, you know, they're, they're still, it's still a great league. There's still so many guys out there that aren't in the NBA that I, I think can, can still make that a logical um, destination for, for the league to continue to grow. So we'll see. And, and ultimately, if the league expand, expands, is it going to be one or is it going to be two? I mean, it, they're, at, they're at 30 right now. If they get to 32, I still think that makes sense. And um, I think it even makes the league maybe a little bit more competitive, too, with you look at the playoff situation and, and teams that get in, it's over half the league. So I think it could help the league, and ultimately it's something that they'll explore at some point. I just know when that, don't know when that's going to be. As long as I don't do something weird like put a team in Mexico City, then I'm 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 bored with, with expansion. I always think it's weird. It's like you know, like the here the NFL talking about going to London. You're like, why? Like, how brutal would that be as a player to have to? Now it wouldn't be as bad in Mexico City, but I can't imagine being an NFL player being you know like having your home games in London and then having to travel uh, to I don't know who you're going to play like the you know even playing the Patriots like can you imagine a road game to like go play the Giants or not the Giants four uh, 49ers. Uh, yeah. San, San Francisco yeah. Giants you know the San Francisco Forty right. Niners like what a what a long yeah trip. and I mean right right now the NBA um, has games in London and and that makes sense but. To put an actual team and and make it an expansion franchise, I just don't think that makes sense from a from a not just a business standpoint, but just a league standpoint. And trying to get you know players that already are complaining about the travel and they just finally have changed up the scheduling format of, of not having back to backs and 
It's an 82-game season, and, and now there's this behavioral health initiative that Keon Dooling's leading, which is really cool. And Keon is—I've talked to him about this a lot—is you know players that um, really struggle with the travel, that struggle um, you know with the balance and quality of life, and they have anxiety, social anxiety. Um, you know, there's so much pressure on them to perform that they start getting into things that they shouldn't be getting into, and, and he's kind of leading up this charge as well. Through the Players Association, and I think that's another big thing that the NBA is so good at, um, is taking care of their own and, and taking care of their player needs and well-being. And um, I think the NBA is ahead of the curve with that. When you took a look at the NFL and other leagues, they're they're always looking three steps ahead and they're always looking at ways to, to better the game, better the culture, which speaks for itself of, of how the NBA touches so many different cultures and how it's such a global entity now uh, that fans love and it, it speaks for itself and Adam's done such a great job as the commissioner to, to really drive these initiatives to ultimately improve the league. Well, Jerry, that's all uh, I've got. I think we're actually right about at our time limit. Um, so for everyone that is uh, still tuned in and still listening to us, uh, go follow Jared on Twitter, at Jared, then a T, then Sutton. Um, you can follow <laughs> so many T's. I'm, I, you know, I'm never going to not bring that up. Uh, you can follow me at Sam T. Snelling. Also, uh, go read our stuff at Rockham Nation. Uh, this episode of Rockham Radio uh, will probably be the last one that I publish to Sam Snelling podcast people. So, if you have not already, go to uh, iTunes and Google Play Store, find Rock M Radio, and subscribe. And if you have already subscribed, then leave some comments and tell us what you think. Uh, so that's all I've got. Jared, anything else? That's it. Thanks for having me, Sam. It was uh, good, to, good to connect. It's been a while. So I'm excited for, for what's in store for Mizzou. You get me all fired up for college basketball now. <laughs> yeah, now we just uh, entered the, the period of like six months before there's, there's anything <laughs> <Right>. that happens. <laughs> we, got, we, got, we, we got big news coming, though. I think that's a big, big part of That's what makes basketball great, NBA and college, is it's, fans are so you know into what takes place in the offseason and what players are getting. I think that's what makes it even more fun as well, is, is what takes place in the offseason. Yeah, it's, it's roster building. It's one of my favorite parts. Uh, well, so thanks for tuning in, everybody, and uh, we'll be back soon with more Bench Minutes in the future. Uh, Jarrett and I will just have to discuss and, and figure out when that is. Uh, I will personally be back next week with, with some version of some podcast, uh, so stay tuned.